Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, and good morning. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we welcome persons of all religions, ethnic and racial origins, sexual orientations, abilities, and other circumstances. We extend a special welcome to our visitors this morning. We're glad you're here. Because we like to recognize the spark of the divine that we feel is in each one of us, I'd like to invite you to take just a few moments now to turn and greet the person nearest to you and look for that spark as you say hello. And at this time, we will light our chalice. The words for lighting the chalice are printed in your order of service. Join with me. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Today's call to worship comes from a short poem by Jane Hirschfield. Even now, decades after, I wash my face with cold water, not for discipline, nor memory, nor the icy awakening slap, but to practice choosing, making the unwanted wanted. Words, words that pull us together and point the way forward. That's what a mission statement is. And every Sunday morning we gather together and remind ourselves, what are we up to? We affirm our mission statement in unison. They're they're printed in your order of service. They're printed on the wall. They're printed in my heart. Please join me in reading our mission statement. We gather in community to nourish souls transform lives, and do justice. Today's reading comes from the Roman emperor and philosopher Marcus Aurelius, written around the year 161 of the Common Era. Even though he was Roman and he was writing in his private journal, he wrote in Greek, which was the language of scholarship and trade. To those who ask, Where then have you seen the gods? What conviction of their existence leads you to this worship of them? I I reply first that they are in fact visible to our eyes. Secondly, and notwithstanding, I have not seen my own soul either, and yet I honor it. So it is with the gods too. From my very experience of their power, time after time, I am certain that they exist, and I revere them. I invite you to join with me in a time centering, centering ourselves. Let us still ourselves for a moment, and in this stillness, Feel the wild constant of our bodies. Feel your own breath lifting 
and falling. Feel your own blood pulsing and pressing. Feel your own skin prickle, stretch, and fold. And now let us feel our own hearts with their steady, beating wisdom. And let us count the people we hold there. Notice how so easily we can simultaneously hold those who are celebrating and those who are suffering. We ask for the strength to keep holding them. And we ask for the vulnerability to be changed by them. And we ask this in the name of everything that is holy. And that is precisely everything. Take this time now to breathe and be. Spiritual ambivalence. How's that for a provocative sermon title? You showed up for it, so I guess. See, I remember that when I was committed to writing about spirituality and, and there was a newsletter deadline in Lumen and I was feeling real cranky and I was grousing about it to a colleague that at that minute I really didn't care one way or the other about spirituality. Oh, so you're experiencing spiritual ambivalence, he suggested. And really, that was so much better than a title like spiritual apathy or spiritual indifference. So I'm just giving thanks. He offered ambivalence. Ambivalence. Valence. Valence has several different usages, all rooted back to the same Latin root for the word value. Ambivalence has some antique and contemporary uses. So ambivalence, the ambi referring to being able to go in at least two different directions. So being ambivalent really doesn't mean simply not caring one way or the other. It's more about being able to consider the value, the valence, the value of two different things, two different ideas. So as I talk about ambivalence, Really, it's not to say that I don't have much interest in something. It's that I'm willing to consider the value, the upsides and the downsides of multiple, sometimes competing or exclusive, contradictory ideas. So what am I ambivalent over? Holding two or more perspectives. Spirit. Spiritual. Eternal and everlasting spirit, soul, unseen and unmeasurable, maybe even that spark of the divine that animates us and connects us to something. And when it comes time to really consider the concept, I wind up ambivalent. Now, you know, compared to some folks, I'm probably a fairly spiritual person. I mean... Look at what I went into. And sometimes it seems like a very important aspect of my life, spirituality. 
well worth placing at the very center of things. And then other times, I just figure, you know, my spirit probably knows what it's up to, and I just trust that it's fine wherever it is or isn't without my busy monkey mind trying to micromanage and scrutinize and fuss over whether or where or what or if spirit is a valid construct to work with. Just get on with it. What do I mean when I'm talking about spirit? We've all heard the term, and we probably all share some common assumptions of what we mean with the concept And the word, okay, going etymology here, the word is rooted in the Latin for breath, spirit, inspired. But the concept itself still needs some more unpacking, okay? The concepts of spirit go back well before Socrates and Plato. But we're going to just start with the Greeks, take on an unseen human soul and the notion of a world of the eternal spirit separate from the physical world. Plato was really explicit in his dualism. The body is of the physical world, material, and finite, while the soul is simply on loan from the unseen spirit world, to which it returns upon death to face judgment. So according to Plato, in one person is the temporary flesh and an eternal spirit. And as he sought, the whole process of living and education involved coming to recognize that the spirit, the spirit was superior to the flesh, and that this whole fleshy life should be spent preparing this soul for its eternal judgment and destiny. Does that sound kind of familiar? Okay. If so. <laughs> It's because Jesus, and more importantly, his followers, picked up that construct and merged it with some Jewish theology and ran with it. Partly to make their ideas easier for the average Greek to recognize and adopt. Because, you know, thanks to Alexander the Great and several others, common Greek was the lingua franca of the early Christian era. So if you wanted to spread the word, if you wanted to spread an idea, you did it in Greek. And we're still not sure why Marcus Aurelius, that's the fellow on your order of service, why a Roman emperor philosopher, why did he write his own journals in Greek? Maybe they just sounded better that way. Now, okay, so that's one place where we get this idea of the separate, unseen spirit that's eternal. Let's go contrast it with another notion. That was Plato, but there was another Greek who came along shortly after Plato, Epicurus. Epicurus modified this whole dualistic view of humans, and he took the stance that the flesh and the soul were both physical and both ended with death. And both body and soul dissolved back into nothingness upon death. Life was for living. It wasn't just some preamble to an eternity. 
Now, it was probably this dissolving into nothingness that fit really nicely with the atomic theory of another philosopher, Democritus. He was the first one who theorized that all things are made up of tiny particles that bounce around temporarily, forming, disintegrating, and reforming things. So when you mashed up Democritus and Epicurus, you wound up with a universe where human beings are merely a chance collection of atoms destined to arrange, dissolve, and rearrange. Because human life and souls were temporary, Epicurus felt that reason should be used to live well and lie low and not draw too much stress into one's life. It wasn't so much that he felt you should eat dessert first, but he would have recommended that you avoid politics and heated arguments that might turn nasty. You don't need that. Live well. Perhaps folks didn't really like the idea of disintegrating into nothingness. Or perhaps Christians really got some traction with their whole emphasis on souls. But either way, now we all have this shared understanding of spirit or soul, and it's generally understood to be this ongoing, eternal, not of this world. We've all heard of your everlasting soul. And some of us have even picked up on the Hindu notion of a soul that is reincarnated with the, over and over and over before finally being reunited with an eternal. But very few of us have a common shared idea of a soul or spirit as something compostable. Something that might degrade and have its bits rearranged. And now, who pays any attention to Epicurus? Huh? Type in epicurus.com, and you get recipes. Mm. He's known for his appreciation of a good meal rather than for his finite soul. Hmm. Why is that? Is it our ego? The love of self that makes us kind of prefer the idea that some part of us will go on indefinitely. Perhaps. In any case, I'm just going to say one version of spirit is way more popular than the other. And when people say that they don't believe in souls, it's typically Plato's soul they don't believe in rather than Epicurus's. And plenty of folks have rejected Plato's separate, unseen, and eternal version of soul. Because why would a universe have two sets of books, two sets of physics, one for the material and physical, and one that's unseen and unmeasurable? Just to keep us on our toes? That's the kind of thinking, the kind of confounding that prompts some of us to just Quit worrying about souls and spirits and anything else unmeasurable. It's just, it's just hard to fix a good dinner when you're contemplating the eternal. How water gets burned. Okay. And it's just easier to get like Epicurus. 
and focus on the living of the here and now and live fully and well and avoid politics and loud arguments and just fix a nice, simple supper and eat it slowly and with appreciation for the way that your body takes in those atoms and rearranges them into energy and tenderness. But perhaps you've had a moment where you could sense the largeness and interconnectedness of all things. Maybe you've had a sense of transcendence, that which transcends time and body and even the laws of physics. Those are moments when the spirit seems to be saying, pay attention. And when the spirit says, do, Really hard to ignore that kind of commandment. So where does that leave us? Well, if you are ambivalent, if you are uncertain which approach to follow, let me assure you that's okay. Our religious tradition does not insist on a belief in an unseen soul or eternal spirit. And even when we do recognize soul or spirit, we're not even asked to make it the most important part of ourselves. We're cool with bodies here. Yeah? Well, my best friends have bodies. <laughs> I'll even offer that this ambivalence of spirit is actually a legitimate theological response, steeped in history and reflective of our values. If we are ambivalent on spirit, it's because we refuse to be certain. Because we know that with certainty comes complacency, and with complacency comes a tendency to be smug. And when it comes to the most vital details, like if we have an eternal soul, or if we're simply a random collection of atoms, we'd rather be uncertain and open to see new truths, rather than to be stubbornly fixed and unresponsive. If we are ambivalent, it means that we recognize that revelation is not sealed, it is ongoing. Can you see how that's a real different theology from one that tells us that everything is fixed, everything is predetermined? We'd rather have a messy uncertainty that might bring us to something new than a certainty that will keep us pinned in place, unable to respond to change. Okay, I gotta wrap this all up. What is my advice to the spiritually ambivalent and those who tend more? To struggle with certainty and uncertainty. Well, if you really don't hold with a notion of soul or spirit, you've got plenty of company. But I would invite you to go and do some honest examination of what you've thought about spirit, spirituality, soul, the eternal, and figure out where you learned to think like that. And be able to state very clearly what it is that you're not interested in.
And if you've had a sense of soul, a presence of spirit, something transcendent, here's what I'll invite you to consider. Look at what you know very carefully. Are you hanging on to the idea of an eternal spirit as simply an extension of the self through eternity? Or are you willing to consider that it might follow the same laws as Adam's and redistribute over time? What if the soul is not about the self, not about your acts or actions to be judged, but entirely about letting yourself go and reuniting with the all that is? What I'm asking to consider is a totally non-self version of spirit. No ego, no personality, no person at all. Quite simply, what if it is a spark of the divine that is reunited and returned to a source when you're done with it? That would follow the laws of physics and teachings of a lot of mystics. That's a tough order because i got to admit, right now, I'm really busy just living and learning and loving and leaving this body. Our bodies hold us so tight. It's a full-time job being alive. And so it's really hard to think about not being alive, even if you're trying to contemplate something eternal. But perhaps, after you've had a simple supper, you can reflect on the eternal now of a life well lived. Maybe so. And now we will extinguish the chalice. Please join with me in reading the words printed in your order of service. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Our benediction words come from Ian Huntington Bear. You are in the story of the world. You are the world coming to know itself. May you trust that all you will ever say or do belongs in the story of the world. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.